Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curd, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curd. Tonight we've got my panel, columnist and commentator Andre Walker, anthropologist Mariano Hotta and Rob Lyons, who's a science and technology director at the Academy of Ideas. And you know the drill on Jubes and Co by now, don't you? It's not just about us here. It's about you at home. What is on your mind tonight? What do you think about the stories we'll be discussing? What have I missed? Uh, anything really. What's on your mind? Get in touch with me. You can email me gbviews at gbnews.uk. You can tweet me at Michelle Jubes or at GB News. Don't forget, uh, if you're not already, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, we've got an app, we've got a podcast, we're all over social media, we're everywhere. Oh yeah, and the radio, how can I forget uh, the radio? I have a part-time, a little uh, moonlighting I do on the side. Every time I get in a taxi, I sit there and do a little sales pitch about GB News on the radio. I'm on a one-woman marketing mission, <laughs> I tell you. So if indeed you are uh, one of those unfortunate taxi drivers that's had me in your car uh, recently, Hello to you too. Sorry for bending your ear about GB News. Anyway, wherever you are tonight, you, my friends, are welcome. Let's get into our top story tonight, shall we then? Over 2 million people in the UK use food banks, but one MP says that they're only needed because people can't cook or manage their budgets. The MP, uh, Lee Anderson, says at his local food bank in Ashfield in Nottinghamshire, people have to register both for a cooking and a budgeting course. Uh, we invite you personally to come to Ashfield, look at our food bank, how it works, and I think, you see, I think you'll see first hand that there's not this use, this, this massive use for food banks in this country. We've got generation after generation who cannot cook properly, they can't cook a meal from scratch, they cannot budget, the challenge is there. Come, come, offer anybody. You, know, you, you sat there with, with glazed expressions on your faces, looking at me like I've landed from a different planet. Come, come to Ashfield, come next week, come the week after, come to a real food bank that's making a real difference to people's lives. Well, Lee Anderson, I've not got a glazed expression on my face and I'm excited about that invitation. I'll come. Uh, I'll head over to your food bank. Lee is apparently, hopefully, uh, going to join us any moment soon to have a chat about his comments. He's uh, angered quite a few people, offended many, uh, and he's been cheered by others. So hopefully any moment now, uh, Lee Anderson will join us for a chat about those comments. But mary let me start with you. What do you think this? Has he got a point? I think there's... It's, it's absolutely a positive thing to empower people to uh, be able to cook healthy, nutritious meals for their family on a budget, to think about budgeting. But the bottom line is being able to feed your whole family for 30p is great, but people shouldn't necessarily have to do that in order to not have to turn the lights off uh, and eat in the dark, because actually that's the only way they can make their budget add up at the end of the week. And let's be honest... There are thousands of people up and down the country now who are looking at the next few months, looking at the pay packet or the, the, the universal credit that they've got for the end of the, to, to last them to the end of the month, and they're just going, that doesn't work. And those people who are uniquely vulnerable are being driven into debt. They are being driven into ill health. They're being driven into states of mental health that mean they are less equipped to join a world of work. They are less equipped 
to look after their family. Being poor, being that cripplingly poor, being that close to destitution that you're having to queue up in the rain to go to a food bank is, is no small thing. It has an enormous burden. And we should not, in 2022, cost of living crisis notwithstanding, here in the UK, we should be better than that. We shouldn't have people having to go I can try and make a small piece of cheese and a couple of tins of beans and some cabbages and mushrooms get me through to the end of the week. Andre, where do you stand on this? Well, first of all, the Trussell Trust, which is this sort of trade organisation for food banks, counts the number of people going to food banks in quite an unusual way. So you, normally you go to a food bank for three days' food, just a stopgap. If you go five times a year, you count as five people. So some of the statistics are slightly dodgy. But nonetheless, when I, when I went to university, I studied this really boring unit on social policy. And what they said at the time was there's two types of poverty. There's primary poverty and the secondary poverty. Really simple difference. Primary is you simply don't have enough money. Secondary is you spend things in, in the wrong way. You make poor choices. Look, we've been unfair to people on benefits for years and said, oh, you know, you shouldn't be going down to the pub. You shouldn't be smoking. You shouldn't be going on holiday. At the moment, when it comes to the cost of living, particularly when it comes to these loony net zero energy uh, policies which have pushed prices up so much, people are in primary poverty. They have an absence of money. Now, I don't have a problem with turning around and saying, look, domestic science isn't being taught in schools. I don't have a problem with saying a lot of people don't understand how to budget when they leave schools. But you know what? There's no phrase you can't take britches off a Highlander. The reality is that if you are putting all of your money into paying for your heating and you've got no money for food, you can learn how to peel a sprout all day. It will make absolutely no difference whatsoever. Um, but, you know, Rob, there is a little bit of a... a point here and, and you know I'm hoping to speak to him so we're trying to just get connected he's confirmed that he's going to join us uh, so I'm excited to have this conversation directly with him but you know many would say and I've got lots of emails coming in now um, that actually managing your budget being able to shop properly cook properly etc is a skill that's lost on many well, I think, yeah, I mean, obviously, we've, we've got used to convenience food and we've got used to sticking the heating on, it's been affordable or whatever. But I don't think people use food banks lightly. Mm. And uh, I think it's gen genuinely because they've no money. I mean, the biggest problem is delays in benefit payments, as far as I understand, or pe people having money taken out of benefit payments. Um, and that's, that, that's really, so it's, it is literally just not having money to actually buy these essentials and if you have to do that month in month out then your savings get used up and it just really grinds you down so yeah of course it's great that the the the, the ashfield food bank is providing some advice and support as well as well as just um three days worth of food or whatever it is but the real problem is people simply do not have enough money um and for example there are there are ways in which the government could, governments could uh, help these things. For example, I live in Scotland. We have minimum unit pricing, right, which mm. means that alcohol is more expensive than it needs to be. You can't buy cheap alcohol anymore. And actually, making people's lives that little bit better by saying, you, actually, you can afford to have a little bit of a drink once or twice a week. Or cigarettes are ridiculously expensive. So you happen to smoke, that's a big burden for you. All these different ways in which there are syntaxes as well that could be looked at and said, you yeah, know, this is actually making the lives of poor people the, uh, much harder because Wait, it just becomes a grind. Hang on a minute. You're saying reduce the unit price of alcohol and cigarettes 
so poor people can turn to them so they can get through no, their crap because, lives. Because that, or, that is an insane thing to no, say. No, I'm saying what? that, that, that the, the, the grind of poverty is that you can literally survive and no more and that li little things like having a drink, having a smoke, these make, make your lives simple a little pleasures. bit... Uh, yeah, simple Wait, they're simple pleasures. pleasures that are incredibly unhealthy. Yeah, but, yeah, but hang, on, hang on a second. I think the principle here, look, uh, you know, forget the whole health, public health thing. The principle is that if we continually push up the price of everything, then people will have less money in the pocket. Look, the reality is, if you're going to have four cans of lager a week and those four cans of lager cost £8 rather than £4, you'll be £4 poorer as a result. Now, I'm not arguing in favour of people drinking and smoking, though I've done plenty of both in my time. Um, but in reality, I think we've got to get away from this idea of less but more expensive. Now, I cited the example of energy. You've cited the example of, of single of, of unit pricing. I think in general terms, we are pushing people into poverty. We are not a poor country. Can I just play devil's advocate a little bit? Because I'm looking at my inbox, my inbox is flying through, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase some of the sentiments that I'm getting because I'm getting a lot of people saying similar things, so I'm just going to summarise it. There's a suggestion coming through, Marianne, on my inbox that some people are basically chances. Let's just say you have a disposable income of, let's just say, I don't know, I'll pick a figure, £10. If out of that £10 you've got to get your, your food, your heating, your this, your that, your the other, and then someone comes along to you and says, right, now you don't need to pay for your food because you can go over there to the local church and you can get your food for free, so you can keep your £10 to spend on whatever else. There's a suggestion that I'm reading that it's almost people taking advantage of food banks because they can. What would you say to that? It's a, a comfortable psychological position to find yourself in, to say, well, they don't really need it. They're choosing to do that because they're lazy and good for nothing. But let's be honest, go down to a food bank and talk to someone standing in that queue in the rain and ask them, and they will tell you that they feel ashamed to be there. Michelle, most... But, but most... hang on, is it all or nothing? Because what I... I mean, what you're saying is that every single person is in this situation. Some of my viewers are suggesting that it might be the opposite. It's, isn't it's, there, it's isn't there a mixture of the it's, two? It's much more comfortable to say, well, they're doing it sort of because they, they're, they're choosing to. That they could go to the shop and buy some, some healthy basics and feed their family, but they choose not to. What they're going to do instead, and it's, it's, a, it's a Victorian notion of the deserving poor and the undeserving poor. And we're going to kind of scatter through, we're going to siphon out the sheep and the goats, and these people, they're genuinely people worthy of our sympathies. But and these people, they're chances, they're no good. They, they're, they're spending their money on betting and fags and booze. They're the ones with the dirty, snotty kids. They're the ones who don't bother. And it's just not true. But, but Marcus Rashford, you know, the guy that we all like, lots of people like him, you know, we can regard him as a kind of an upstanding citizen of our country. His mother went to a food bank and she didn't want to. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what that's going to do with the price of it. But, 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 but no one's saying that it. she's a chancellor. Well, no, hang on, because I just want to respond to your point, because I think you're taking it to a silly extreme. What you're saying, mm -hmm. uh, Marianne, is that basically when there's a sentiment coming that people are making a suggestion here, mm -hmm. that there, are, there will be some people that actually, they're choosing to use that food bank in order to have uh, spare money to spend elsewhere. And then what you're saying is... You know, that's really kind of basically offensive and that everyone that uses the food banks is, 
you know, on the burns of the backside and desperately needing this thing. And I think perhaps there's somewhere in the middle, well, absolutely people, but absolutely people desperately need uh, help with their food. And I think that's an appalling situation. I think it's an embarrassment as a nation that we are a wealthy na nation and we actually have people that genuinely cannot afford to feed their own children. I think that's shameful for us on, as a nation. Yeah. But I don't think that that means that therefore the opposite cannot also be true, that there are some people out there that are are seizing opportunities for themselves to make life easier for themselves with the money that they do have. But, but, but so, bring, the, but, hold on one sec, because I want Andre yeah, to come but, in as well. But, yeah, I think I made the point earlier about the way that the statistics are put together. If you read what the Trussell Trust say and what the food banks say, it makes it sound like two million people are permanently on a food bank. Every single week after week, they go and get their food from a food bank, which is why your viewers are turning around and saying, hang on a second, that sounds completely nuts. The, the reality is you normally only only go there for three days. And as I say, if you go five times a year, you'll count as five people. If you go 10 times a year, you count as 10 people. The reality is what has actually happened here, and it is as a result largely of benefits being slow, people will go for, for three days food and then they'll move on and not go back. But because of the way the Trussell Trust continually quotes this statistic of two million people being on food banks, it makes it sound like there are two million people permanently doing this day in, day out, which is just nonsense. I think the bigger picture is that benefits aren't rising with the cost of living, that people are being driven into debt, that there are deductions policies that are enacted by the government that mean that when you finally do get your universal credit come through, for example, or your working um, benefits because you're a part of a working household, you get deductions made up to 25% of what you've been given gets taken away again to pay back the advance. You don't get any notice on that. But I want to and the bring people at the very the maximum, bottom but you, don't have you that have a, contingency. But the, there was a benefit cap. There was a benefit cap of £22,000. Now, remember, in order to earn £22,000, you have to have a job that pays £30,000. How many people watching this show are earning £30,000? You start to think to yourself, look, you know, if people in a job are going to have to take some slack, why can't people on benefits take some slack as well? There are people 22, with jobs who 20, are 22, £22,000 after tax is a decent sum of money. Right, well, hang on. Call your, call your jets, you two, because I've, I've found him. <laughs> oh, apparently, I think I've found him. Have we got him yet or not? We're just testing his link, apparently. Right. So uh, I shall come to you just whilst we're waiting uh, for Lee, because obviously what we can see is that, you know, the, the suggestions and comments uh, made today have obviously divided opinion. Uh, so final word to you, uh, Rob, just whilst we're doing the old link testing. Well, well just on the specific thing that you just said about people using food banks and then spending money elsewhere. Well, good luck to them. This is, these are voluntary organisations, and if people, uh, if people who are, are skinned, and they can pay, get some of the things that they need voluntarily from a charitable organisation so they can spend a bit of money on something else. I don't care. So, yeah, but it doesn't uh, deal with the, the broader picture of poverty. It's probably not as bad as, as Andrew says. The, the statistics probably overstate it in some ways. Nonetheless, there's millions and millions of people who are now struggling to, to pay the bills, and we need to look at the broader picture of why living has become so expensive in this country and why wages and benefits 
have not kept up with that. Well, I can tell you there is a real split coming through uh, from the viewer contacts as we speak about this whole kind of situation. Some people are saying, and I, I'm doing a direct quote, Patricia says, I agree with the MP, three cheers. Uh, she's saying it's about time people use their heads a bit more. We're throwing away food relentlessly. Patricia, though, what would you say? It's all well and good throwing away food, but that would indicate that you can afford the food to buy and then throw away in the first place. Mm. Uh, many people, though, saying Pippa says, hang on, Michelle, because some people are not even accepting things such as potatoes because they can't afford to cook them. Um, so what she's saying is it's not about people not knowing how to cook, but perhaps it's about they can't simply afford to cook. Um, but again, I have to say, really uh, divisive, uh, or sorry, divided. I would say it's almost half di divided in the middle about what people are thinking about this topic. But, ladies and gentlemen, I have him, uh, the MP for Ashfield, Lee Anderson. Lee, good evening to you and thanks for joining us. Good evening. Uh, well, I have to say, we've just been having a little bit of a debate here and now, Lee, about what, you're, uh, what you were suggesting, as I understand it. Uh, what you were saying today is essentially, and I quote, uh, it's all about people basically using uh, a food, um, you know, like a, what do, oh, a food bank, that's the word. I lost my train of thought there. You're using food banks, apparently, because they don't know how to cook from scratch and how to budget. Yes, am I right? Is that your it's, sentiment? It's very convenient how some of the mainstream media have clipped that speech today. I've put the full speech out on, on, on my Facebook post. So you can, anybody can check that. But the point I'm making is a serious point. I work very closely with the local food bank in Ashfield. And, and we've recognised together that there, is, there are a lot of people out there who don't have the, they don't have the experience in, in cooking, and they struggle to budget, and more importantly, they, they struggle, they've got very, very little shopping skills. So when they go to a supermarket for a shop, they, they don't have the skills that my mum and my grandma had back in the day where they could buy fresh vegetables um, you know, and, and cheaper bits of meat and, and cook from scratch. Um, and make nutritious meals for their family. So my food bank have recognised this, and what we do now at the food bank is when people come in for a food parcel, they are, they are signed up for a cooking course and a budgeting course, uh, and they get that food parcel on the condition they sign up for that. And that's what they're doing. They're helping people who have a real need Food. But what they're learning is, is that people, once they learn how to cook, and once they learn how to cook from scratch and buy, and, and, you know, buy on a budget, they can actually do it. And the good news is, once they can do it, they've got a few more quid in their pocket at the end of the week. Surely that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I would. I mean, it's hard to agree uh, that anyone, sorry, would disagree with the sentiment that if someone is able to cook, uh, etc., then that would be a good thing. I think we're all in agreement with that. But. You know, we talk here about the sentiment of cooking meals from scratch. And by the way, if the invitation is open, I would be delighted to come to your food bank and have a look at what's going on. But what would you say? Do you concede that there are some people that even if you show them how to uh, cook from scratch, even if you show them how to budget, they simply do not have the funds to be able to heat their food and eat decent food, nutritious food. Do you concede that there are people that have done their best and they still don't have the money? Well, this is why we, we, we do batch cooking at the food bank. We teach people how to batch cook for a whole week. Now, we, we did a, uh, a small project and we filmed it. I can send you the details where we took some school children to the local supermarket and we, we spent 50 quid. I gave them 50 quid out of my pocket. We filled a trolley up of uh, vegetables with a local chef 
an award-winning top chef. We filled that trolley up 50 quid. We went back to the college. I invited four other MPs, and we had a bake-off, like a cook-off. And we, we, we prepared then, I think it was about 170 meals, and we put them into containers and froze them. Now, that's enough to feed a family of five for about 50 quid. Now, they're not massive piles of what you get at the local carvery, but they were enough. They were nutritious, good-value meals. Now, I think when people say to me that junk food is, is, is cheaper, that's nonsense. You can buy fresh vegetables still uh, and shop around for your cuts of meat, and you can make some good meals, some good, tasty, nutritious meals on a budget. And I think if we can get some people to do that, not everybody's going to be able to do it, but if we can get some people on that who then learn those skills and can pass them skills on to their children, then surely that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, I think I do think it's a good thing. I do think it's wonderful for people, as I've just said, to be able to shop and cook and all. I think it's fantastic. But I guess what I'm trying to get to is we mentioned there 50 quid batch cooking. Wonderful. But do you concede that there are people that have done all your tips, they've done your courses, they simply cannot afford to go to the store and buy the basic ingredients? You talk about 30p or whatever. If people don't have their 30 pences... Do you think your government is doing enough to help them? Well, government's already provided, you know, just another extra twenty million pounds, uh, twenty billion, twenty-two billion pounds in extra support. You know, there's direct support available from local authorities. You know, we just spent over four hundred billion pounds. You know, wrapping our arms around the economy during COVID. The government has spent a hell of a lot of money uh, supporting people. But you know, my position is yes, we have to support. It. There are a group of people we have to support. But in the meantime, instead of just throwing money at everything, let's try and help people. Let's try and you know give them that education. Give them those life skills that they've missed out on. And if we can do that and help them cook, help them budget, like I said, they can pass that on to the children, then that puts, that, that puts this country in a better place. Right, Lee, I'm going to ask, I'm going to try again because you have me on board with what you're saying about educating and budget and skills. That's wonderful. But you're still not kind of answering my question in the here and now. If somebody's sitting here watching this and there'll be people in your own constituency and up and down the country, they'll be panicking. They are, you know, anxious. They, they do not have the money. They, they're not eating themselves. You know, they'll be doing their best to feed their kids, but them themselves as adults won't be able to eat. And it's all well and good. We're talking about COVID support and this, that and the other. And I saw the Queen's speech yesterday. We're talking about growing an economy uh, for the future. That's all brilliant. But in the here and the now, honestly, with a straight face, Lee, can you honestly say that you think you're doing enough to help those people that truly, truly are struggling? Well, I think governments can always do more. Uh, you know, I've got to be in my bonnet about the uh, about the cost about, about the cost of fuel, a domestic fuel. You know, I want to see an end to the, to the green levy and VAT on fuel. And I tell you what, there's not many supporters in in both sides of the house on that one. Even the opposition are against me on the green levy. I want to see us frack. I want to see us in, increase gas and oil production. I want to see all these measures. You know, I want us to be. Um, self-sufficient uh, on domestic fuel. I, I would love for our country to be that to bring the uh, bring the fuel prices down. Because let's not forget, it is the cost of fuel that that drives a lot of these lot of these prices up and up. But you know, if people are genuinely struggling, then I would say go and see your CAB, which I used to work for, by the way. I used to see people in poverty on a daily basis. I'm not in a bubble down here. I've helped those people budget. I've helped those people who've had debt problems. Go and see your local MP. And if you're really struggling, I'll tell you what, the invitation's open to come to Ashfield. And if we can help you, we will. But if you need that extra support, then it's, it's our job as government to try and provide that extra support.
Well, Lee Anderson, uh, we appreciate you joining us tonight. Thanks for that. And I am uh, going to take up your invitation. You say that we can come and join you. Uh, I'm going to come and join you. And I look forward to learning uh, and being able to share with the masses how they too can cook from scratch and budget and all the rest of it. But for now, uh, thank you for your time. Hello there. Welcome back to Jubes & Co. with me, Michelle Jubery. My panel tonight, I've just had to try and shush them up. Um, <laughs> gathering away they are in the break there. Columnist and commentator Andrea Walker, anthropologist Mariano Hotter, and Rob Lyons, the Science and Technology Director at the Academy of Ideas. Now, did you do your GCSEs at school? You might remember Tony Blair, who as Prime Minister said that his government's priorities were... Are you shouting it out at home? If you're not, you should know it. Education, education... And education. Well, now his son Ewan is saying that GCSEs offer no guarantee of who will succeed or fail in life. Why is, uh, you might be saying, well, why do I don't care what Tony Blair's son thinks? Well, to be fair to him, he does know a thing or two because he runs a company that basically promotes professional apprentices and is doing, seemingly doing very well uh, in doing so. Rob, when it comes to the whole GCSE things, do we need them, don't we need them? I'm always curious about this because I personally think in this society, we have almost a one-size-fits-all educational system. And then you have uh, often lazy employers that will kind of just use your grades as a filtering kind of method. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure about them. I personally would support a big overhaul of kind of ripping these things up and starting to think differently about how we educate and assess young people. Well, I think GCSEs are really, really important. I think exams in general are really important because they give the, the students, the pupils, a real focus. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm a journalist and I work on deadlines. And uh, I think kids do as well. And that, that's their focus for it. And when they didn't have the exams for the past couple of years, I think a lot of them felt quite lost about that. Um, but that doesn't, but, but all the things you're saying about the laziness of employers and the sort of like narrow-minded thinking, I think there's a lot of truth in that as well. For example, when B&Q suddenly started employing older people, you know, mm. they opened their minds to the idea that older people could actually be much better. And just because somebody's academic doesn't mean they can't be a good worker. Um, so I think you and Blair's got half a point, but I don't think the answer is to scrap exams. I think it's to have... Uh, Better, tr better opportunities for people who, for, the, for them, it's not really what they want to do, to get, in, get skills and get good jobs. Um, and certainly this idea, which is very common these days, where you, know, you get a half-decent job and they'll throw out half the CVs for anybody who doesn't have a degree. Well, that's mm. just mad. I mean, like, especially when, in, in situations where often the people they're replacing, the people who are retiring, didn't have a degree either. So that kind of degree obsession or GCSE obsession, you need to get rid of that and be much more open-minded about what makes a good employee and, who, and, and, ha and give people the tools to get on in life, whatever, whether it's an exam or whether it's an apprenticeship or something else. Andre, do you agree with that? Well, I think it's it's funny, actually. My dad was um, an electrical engineer for many years and, and rose to the top of a major company, the Co-op Electrical Engineering Division. And the problem that they had uh, under the secondary modern system was that kids were leaving school with no qualifications, effectively. It was really hard to work out who was with all due respect, completely unemployable, and somebody who, whilst they weren't academic, was somebody who'd be a good apprentice electrical engineer. And so, actually, having the GCSEs in place was incredibly helpful for that. I think the point you're making is this, that 
our, our issue is, first of all, the one size fits all. I think there's been a huge wage inflation, a huge uh, grade inflation. Some courses now, a quarter of all uh, the grades are A's, which I think is a major problem. But there's just a lack of diversity within the whole thing. When I talk about diversity, what I mean is, you know, in schools, you know, you're not using online learning to study Japanese if you want to. You can't, there's not a range of subjects there. It's just the same subjects. Everybody's doing the same thing. And I think that's the one size that fits all element. But I do maintain that having that idea of the five grade A to C, where you, you know that somebody's got their maths, got their English, and got a few other bits and bobs, I think that is so important because it's just really hard for employers to know whether somebody's bluntly an E candidate or a C candidate. And under the old uh, O levels, th there was no way to differentiate those two groups of people. Mm, Marianne? Exams, apprenticeships, whatever. There's some kind of method of teaching someone something and then testing and assessing whether they understand it and whether they can use it. You or know, whether, whether they can a... regurgitate it. They don't necessarily need to understand it, you just need to be able to regurgitate what someone's just told you. Yeah, possibly, but maybe if you're an electrical engineer apprentice, it's a, it's a, it's a practical test. But whatever the tool is, it's not, it's not just the fact that there is a tool, it's how you use it and whether it's fit for purpose, isn't it? So I think saying, well, we should scrap GCSEs is potentially is potentially an argument, but you go, well, what will you have instead? You need some other kind of assessment method. Why? In order to, to kind of work out whether someone understands how to wire a house or not, and therefore whether no, they that, should get that's... qualified as a as a But as they're two different things. Or whether they can things. design something and become an electrical engineer or whatever it is. But testing whether or not someone at school mm -hmm. can, um, I don't know, regurgitate pie or... I don't know, you know, certain angles or triangles or whatever it is, whatever nonsense it is that people get taught these days at school well, what, that okay. bear no reality into the real world, by the way, that's very different to someone learning how to, I don't know, this wire is this and this wire is this for a technical qualification for a job. They're two completely different things. I think, I mean, don't throw away triangles. They're probably quite important for most science, engineering and maths. But I think uh, there was recently a, a, a Times and YouGov survey uh, asking parents, do they think that the UK, England's education system prepares their children for either life or for the world of work? 60% of parents said, no, it doesn't prepare children for either life or for work. And I think it's an absolute crime that we have young people leaving 11 or more years of compulsory schooling not able to read and write, not to the level of reading Dostoevsky in Russian or enjoying Jane Austen for pleasure, but literally being able to oh, read yeah, we'll agree on that. And, yeah. and know what to do with it, know what it says. We've got people who don't understand basic maths. We, don't have pe we have people who don't understand how to manage their finances, to understand what, how to assess whether a media um, or, or kind of piece of news content is trustworthy or not. That's the stuff that we need our young people to know. And then whether they want to go and learn triangles so they can become uh, sci scientists, engineers, technicians, whether we want them to be able to think creatively and become entrepreneurs and establish their own businesses, we still need them to be able to I, have basic numeracy and literacy. I, and fundamentally, I whoever you are, whether you're doing an apprenticeship, whether you're doing a, a further degree, we sh all our young people should be coming out proud of themselves feeling secure in the world 
and feeling like they haven't just been totally bypassed by but the I, education I, system. I, I actually wonder whether this is the fundamental issue. Because, look, the idea of getting teenagers up to a basic skill level, I don't have a particular problem with. In fact, I think it's a good thing. My issue is, when John Major turned the polytechnics into universities, the idea was that practical qualifications would be on the same level of acad as academia, which I think is manifestly a great idea. The problem is, all of these universities have attempted to become academic, and what you've ended up with is just thousands upon thousands of people studying courses that can't possibly ever be useful to them. The great statistic that somebody told me from, uh, from one of your rivals, uh, TV companies, um, they said that apparently there are twice as many people qualify for media studies every year as there are media studies jobs in totality. So that means if you sacked everybody well, in that profession, you'd still have twice as many people per year. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not having a go at it, but, but look, there are, some, are. There are some courses, actually, which are, which are much maligned, but, but are better. As an example, people take the mick out of golf, but the golf management courses actually have a really high employment rate because you're literally training somebody how to run a golf club. That's the sort of thing that you need to bring Andre, in. Andre, I think it's a backward step to say that you should only study something that leads directly to the same job. So study golf management, go and manage a golf course. Because the whole point of education is it teaches us how to think, how to be analytical, how to be creative and Good grief. I bet, that. I bet, Mary Ann, no, there's a lot of people that are screaming at the TV saying the point of education isn't, it doesn't teach us how to think these days. It tells you what to think. It tells you this is this, this is this, and we're betide anyone that tries to think different, uh, Andrew, differently to Andrew that. Andrew Breitbart once said it, then, was, it was lucky that he never bothered listening in lectures, otherwise he would have turned into a socialist. Um, well, I'm going to go what? to, a, I need to go to a quick break. We're going to leave these two to argue about socialism. Samuel, by the way, on Twitter has been in touch saying Lee Anderson was fantastic. Michelle, though, if anything, was offensive. Ooh. It was her question of him. He handled himself incredibly well. Uh, Samuel, I wasn't offensive. Uh, he's saying basically that I should have appreciated more what Lee Anderson was trying to do. I repeated multiple times that actually I think it's great to try and make sure that people understand how to budget, how to shop and how to cook from scratch. I advocate this regularly. All I'm trying to get at though is that where there are people that simply do not have the money to buy the ingredients that you're teaching them they need to cook, what happens then? That was my question. If that's offensive, well, what can I do? Hello there, welcome back to Jubes and Kurt with me, Michelle Jubri. Lots of people writing in about triangles. <laughs> I wish that I didn't bother now. I wish that I didn't, I don't know where I came out with triangles of all the things that you learn from school. I don't know why I chose to randomly choose uh, the innocent triangle as, a, as an example of something to be infuriated about. But lots of you are pointing out how essential triangles are to life. Okay then, well I stand corrected. All I'm saying is, we do get taught a lot of nonsense, don't we, at school within these GCSEs. And you get all these kids that come out with their A-stars or whatever the equivalent is. But don't, don't be uh, too offended when I say this, but a lot of them are just godless. So on. yes, they can regurgitate all this stuff, but they've got nothing about them. There, there, are, two, there, are, there are two bad types of triangle, Bermuda and Love. 
So there we go. Oh, God, as I say, I'm going to regret ever mentioning the humble triangle. Right, let's talk protesters uh, gluing themselves to things, shall we? They've probably been gluing themselves to uh, triangles at some point, <laughs> I imagine. Anyway, the government announced yesterday in the Queen's speech a new public order bill is basically going to make locking on where you, like, glue yourself and all the rest of it. Uh, it's going to be an offence if you do this to public infrastructure. What do we think to this, Marianne? Long overdue or a bit ridiculous? Um, well, I'm never going to be a fan of getting stuck in a traffic jam behind someone who's glued themselves to a road. However, I think the reason people are so angry and are being driven to such extremes of behaviour is because the, the kind of perhaps more reasonable channels of communication with our government appear to fall on deaf ears. We are in a biodiversity and climate crisis. The government do nothing. They have an insulated homes. Insulate Britain, I mean... To, to give them credit, their, their, their call, what, is, what it is that they want us to do, is in the title of their organisation. Extinction Rebellion, you kind of go, well, I don't, that's just two words. Insulate Britain, it's a very simple call to action and we don't do it. If we insulated our homes, some of the people who are trying to make their budget stretch would have less far to stretch because the £10 notes wouldn't be going out of the window or, or out of the chimney. If we insulated our homes, we would have less reliance on Russian oil and gas because we would need to use less of it to, to heat our homes. And that's all well so and good, but do you support issue? their behaviour of basically stopping critical infrastructure? So when people are doing all these stupid things, yep. like stopping the oil um, being, being allowed to be circulated, distributed and all the rest of it, yep. do you support that by way of getting their message across? Um, I think public protest is important and it should be protected in law. I think the... Um, public order bill that's being proposed by the government now is actually um, Caroline Lucas, the leader of the Green Party, has described it as a public oppression bill. And I think it's absolutely right. The reason these aspects got thrown out by the House of Lords is not because the Lords collectively think gluing yourself to a train is a good idea. It's because they identified these different um, draft bits of legislation as really badly thought through, really badly written and would have unintended consequences for democracy. And none of that has changed. The government is just too lazy, too disenfranchised, too disdainful of the people to have bothered to make them better. They've just put them back in and gone, well, maybe everyone will be distracted and we'll wave some Ukrainian flags and go on about refugees. And then maybe they won't notice that actually genuine... Um, the right of protest, which is a right of protest, it's not a luxury, it's not something to be gifted to you by the government. It is a fundamental underpinning of our democracy. And you're nodding that along, needs to be protected. Rob? Well, I'm very nervous about any, any government that, that's imposing uh, restrictions on protest, especially when, you know, it, when they're broadly worded and badly worded pieces of legislation that end up getting used for the wrong purposes. I mean, I think the biggest problem is that we have laws about a lot of this stuff and the police are standing there not enforcing them. You know, and you know, very often it's the direct action of the pe of people who are affected by these things um, that 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 means that you know we saw in Canning Town when you know, you know pe people were getting dragged off the top of the tubes because people were so frustrated about not getting to work. And you can see also the um, the reaction of of that woman who gently 
touched a protester with her car getting hauled over the coals, whereas pe people like disrupting the whole chunks of cities. Hauled over the coals, she got fined. She got she lost her license for about a year, if I remember rightly, and got a small fine. But it's not really about the money; it was about the principle. While simultaneously, from what I remember of those protests, the police were standing there, going up to the protesters, yeah. "Oh, are you okay? Is yeah. there anything I can get you? Are you all right?" <laughs> Sorry, I don't think you excuse me. Touch someone gently. Touch someone with a car. I don't think. Well, that's I don't think you should sit down in front of someone's car and stop people going about their business because you've decided that your agenda of the day is more important than pretty much every right. single other person right. going about their business. Am I wrong, That's Andre? Well, look, look the, the reality is these are not protests. What these people have done, it started with Brian Hoare in Parliament Square. What you do is get your mates who've all got a trust fund and don't have to get a job, sit there on Parliament Square for 18 months and not wash. That's not a protest. Effectively, what these people are doing increasingly is A, moving in to places permanently, B, deliberately trying to disrupt things, and C, effectively, just cause the maximum amount of trouble by harassing people. So let me give you an example. You know, these vegan protesters are not protesting in favour of veganism. Often they're standing in front of butch, butcher shops with a megaphone telling people not to come in. That's not a protest. That's simply harassing people. And as far as I'm concerned, I think these are a bunch of middle-class do-gooders who think they know better than everybody else. I think the Stink Bomb Rebellion should apologise to the public, not least because of their poor personal hygiene. And I think there's no problem whatsoever with saying you have a right to protest, you have a right to march down the street, get your placard out. But if you want to move in for six months and shout abuse at school children going into power, Sling your hook. Well, there you go. I was just about to say get off the fence, but uh, <laughs> I don't think you're on it. Right, I've literally got a minute left on the show, so I'm going to end with just a very quick question. Was there any of you three that won the £184 yes. million pounds last night? No, actually, I, I won a tenner about six months ago. Did you? <laughs> Would you ever tell anyone if you won the lottery? Obviously not £184 because people are going to know anyway at some point, but if you won, I don't know, just say, like, £2 million, would you tell anyone, Mary -Anne? A mere £2 million. Yeah, no, anything, I don't really. Think I would. Would you tell people if you won the lottery? I'd tell family and friends, uh, as I felt right. I can't see any benefit to being public about it, apart from for the, the people I, who run the lottery. I, as, I had a friend who won the, who won the is lottery. This a, is this a well shortest story? Because we're almost out of time. Uh, well, a friend who won the lottery, everybody sued him and nobody would buy anything from his company because they thought he was rich anyway. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, would you tell people if you won the lottery? I certainly would not. You're asking for trouble, aren't you? Anyway, as I said, I am still regretting mentioning triangles. <laughs> <laughs> You're never going to live it down. And I'm getting some quite rude comments, actually, uh, about me and triangles. I'll leave that to your imagination. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think that is pretty much all we've got time for. I managed to avoid the wagger for Christie again tonight. Yes. Yeah. Am I right to avoid that? Or are you yeah. desperate to hear about it? Tell me. Anyway, that is all we've got time for now. Thank you very much to my panel, Andre Walker, uh, Rob Lyons and Mariana Hotter. If you missed any of the show tonight, you can watch it or you can get it on the podcast, get it on YouTube, wherever. Thanks for listening to Jubes and Co, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time.